You're listening to Rogue Agents, Episode 30, featuring Raymond Benson's Blast from the Past short story. Welcome to the 30th episode of the Rogue Agents Podcast, a part of Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast channel brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host, Jason, codename Weasel Skull. And joining me as co-agents are once again, starting with my brother from my actual mother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist a.k.a. Death Pro. And Jared, what's the most 007 thing you've done since our last episode? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. I got the nice invitation from a fellow podcaster. He does a show called, I think it's Five Faves from Fans or Fave Five from Fans. (laughs) One of those two is very alliterative. And he invited me on to talk about my top five favorite James Bond movies. And that was a lot of fun. Interesting. So I did get to talk Bond with another podcaster recently. And so those of you who may be tuning in for this, hey, if you want to hear me ramble on about Bond stuff, check out Five Faves from Fans or Fave Five from Fans. It's one of those two. (laughs) One of those two will get you there. I'll be able to, there's okay, a fave, yeah. there's a five, and there's a fan in there. Yeah, there's a lot I'm... of Fs in it. That's all I know. But yeah, that was a lot of fun, and I appreciated Mr. J.B. Ray for inviting me on his show, and I really enjoyed talking with him. But that's, I guess, probably the most Bond-like thing I've done. A lot of Fs in this book, too. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> hey Hey-oh! <laughs> so where did you put uh, Thunderball in your top five? Just out of curiosity, Jared. Uh, you're, you're breaking up. I can't, I, it's, I can't hear you. <laughs> All right. So with that, we'll go to my good friend, Delvin, the Dark Web Williams. Delvin, what's the most 007 thing you've done since we've last talked? You know, I haven't done it much uh, 007, you know, other than read this uh, book that you gave me. And uh, I don't know, like, well, we'll talk about it. But, you know, I I needed a a ceiling fan and a cup of cold ice water afterwards. So I'm anxious to get talking about it. (laughs) up the phone (laughs) must be 18 years or older (laughs) pat well jason i'm glad you asked well the most bondiest thing that i've done actually happened today and just a little bit ago as i went out to have a nice dinner with my wife you know I, i like to treat the ladies good after you know certain things and and all that we have our anniversary coming up so uh we decided to go out i ran across a James Bond pinball machine, Dr. No. And I thought that was really cool to see it. it. There it was just staring at me from far away. And I'm like, is that Dr. No? And it's, well, of course it said Dr. No on it, but I'm like, wait a minute, is that a pinball machine? So I went in and grabbed some snaps of it. And guess where I'm going to be all the time now, guys, I'm going to be playing that James Bond pinball machine, man. No, Pat, we expect you to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what'll happen. I'll waste all my quarters. Just, you know, it wasn't. That wasn't from Dr. No. That's mm-hmm. what, when you leave every time, be like, 
We'll be back. We'll be back with more corners. <laughs> Full speed ahead. <laughs> I was, I was thinking that he was going to play it, but like the controls of the pinball machine is going to get too hot. And it's like, ah, ah, a little never uh, say yeah. never again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I watch movies too. <laughs> I like it. Well, if anybody's wondering what the hell happened to Jason while Pat was giving me this answer, Jason was recording remotely. He was actually clear on the other side of the country in, in, in a hotel room and he lost his connection. So uh, you just have to deal with me taking over for Jason's uh, hosting on this one which means we still have to check in with our most favorite agent and my best friend with no qualifications. Alan J. Porter, welcome back, sir. What's the most Bond-like thing you've done? First off, thank you for removing the qualifications. And if you don't know what we're talking about, check out our last six of the best episode, where basically Jared put me in an ever-decreasing box <laughs> of friendship classification. <laughs> like um, Russian nesting dolls. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the most Bond-like thing I've done since the last show is been up the side of a mountain in a cable car to visit a revolving restaurant at the top. So, I don't know, a little Piz Gloria vibe there, maybe? So, so not exactly Piz Gloria. Not exactly Piz Gloria because it was in Canada. So oh, it was actually okay. in Banff okay. in British Columbia. Uh, no, Banff's in Alberta. But anyway, in the Canadian Rockies, we were on vacation in that part of Canada and ended up in Banff for a couple of days. People kept talking about going on a gondola ride, and I was stupid, and I was thinking, why are there gondolas in Moonraker, gondolas, you know, mm-hmm, Venice, mm-hmm. in Canada? But it was actually a cable car gondola, which was tiny, seated about four people, swayed in the wind, and I thought, I'm going to be good, and I can do this. My vertigo won't be a problem. And I played a tactical error and ended up sitting with my back to the mountains, so as we were going up, the valley was disappearing beneath us. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was not good. <laughs> um, I was a sweaty wreck by the time. It was the longest seven minutes of my life going up. Alan, Alan that sounds effing terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Longest seven minutes of my life. We got to the top. We walked out on the deck. I took two photos of Jill. I said, that's it. We're going right back down the mountain. And I made sure I was sat facing the mountain so everything was at like a consistent thing going down and we found a bar at the bottom and i sat there and <laughs> but i was like yeah i think if we ever make it to switzerland maybe i ain't going up to see peace gloria if that was what that was like i was gonna say you, you know alan you you could have just you could have got out of it right away you know take off your inside pockets put them yeah on your i know and just yeah, went down just the cable down. like that clearly yeah. yeah or even just got up on the roof and had a fight with uh yeah some seven foot dude who happened to be hanging out there i don't know but yeah uh, yeah no cable cars and me not a good mix. But I went up a mountain to a restaurant, a revolving restaurant at the top of the mountain. So I'm checking that box off the that off the list. So <laughs> well, I wish you could have enjoyed yourself a bit more, but you know, <laughs> at least you got the experience. So there there is that. Well, folks, this is the 30th episode of our ongoing series on this channel called MI6 Rogue Agents, where we traverse the 007 universe. That could mean books, could mean music video games, any medium that connects to the Bond franchise that we love so much here at On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. I will now ask the question that Jason prepared for us here for episode 30. We're going to ask each of our agents, as you read through this short story, Blast from the Past by Raven Benson, how did you feel Benson's Bond compared to the original Flemings? Because we've read a couple of short stories there. Now, Alan, you and I have both read a lot of Fleming. <laughs> so 
Well, of course, we've run a lot of Benson, too, so I guess our comparisons will be pretty fair. But we'll start with some of our more junior agents. We'll start with Pat, DJ Cristados. How did you feel about this Benson bond? Did it seem strikingly different? Did you like it better? A little worse? I don't know. What was your vibe? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You know, <laughs> I was kind of thinking that, too, when I was reading it. It's like, I felt this was a little bit different than the Flemings that we have read previously and also the audio drama that we listened to a little bit. Not that there was anything wrong with it. There was something different about it. I think Fleming's bond is more, his mindset is more of the job and what's going on, where this one seemed to be a little more carefree a little bit. On that you know, way. Pat, I'm going to interject here because I've often said this, and, I, and I, I wonder if this is what you're trying to say. And if it's not, you can say, nope, you're yeah. way off. But I've always felt like Fleming was a slightly more psychological bond. Yes. And yes, Vincent is it. more of a cinematic bond. Like, I think yes. Vincent's play better for a movie. Yes. That's the way I was thinking of it. Yeah. Fleming's okay. is more psychological detailing, you know, Fleming's detail about everything in the surrounding. Fleming was able to put you into the the surrounding of it you know the way he would describe things he would put you into that area there and just let you visually see it through his words uh i didn't get a lot of that on the benson side but i got more of the cinematic as you said Mm -hmm. this would be a cool short little film you know a little mini film or something like that to kind of watch and see so yeah i could definitely see them make like a 90 minuteer yeah, you know, no, you could pad this out to maybe even, like yeah. a ninety-minute film, yeah, we, and we, I'd we watch really it. Really need to? I'd, it'd be an hour show. I mean, kind of what happens? I think an hour would try to pad it up, but then it would just be too much. Well, there's I, certain I, parts I could definitely watch. Yeah, I guess depends on yeah, yeah, it depends on your streaming service. If you got the maybe Cinemax uh, you know, at night. <laughs> you know, before we go too far down the road, let's pass the question over to Delvin the Dark Web. Williams, you hit the nail on the head. Cinematic. That is a good word for Raymond Benson's writing because the action was very fast paced. Not that Ian Fleming's writing was slow paced necessarily. And and maybe it's just considering the medium that we were reading it from. You know, this was made for Playboy and maybe they're looking for more upbeat and racy. You know, from the first page to the last page, it was like action, 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 action. And with Ian Fleming, it's more of, hey, let's set up the surroundings. I'm going to let you know what the surroundings look like. Heck, I might even tell you some history about what's going on with these surroundings. And then once we get to the action, boom, 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 like out of 15 pages, Fleming might spend 12 to 13 setting up that shot. And then the last two pages with action after action after action. So that's what I found most uh, different. Cinematic was a great word for it. Cool. I'm glad I could help. Now, Alan, I'm not sure if you've ever read any of the James Bond novels or... What? James who? <laughs> who are we talking about? Sorry, I thought it was just another Batman 1943 podcast. <laughs> he, he prefers Jimmy. <laughs> no, so uh, now Alan's going to look at it, I think, more holistically, because he's read a ton of Benson and a ton of Fleming. So, you know, your thoughts... Do you think what we've talked about here applies broadly or just the short stories? Your thoughts, Alan? Actually, I think it does apply broadly. And it goes back to, I think, the brief that Raymond Benson was given at the time, which was to actually make the books not a reflection of the movies, but more having the tone of the movies. 
but still be the Fleming. So that's part of the reason that Raymond Benson's books, you've got a female M. It's a different M than the one in the movies, but it sort of lies closer to the Brosnan. It has the feel of the Brosnan era bond in both his books and short stories. And that's part of the brief he was given by in Fleming Publications. He is a very cinematic writer. I mean, he comes from a theater background. He's a very visual guy. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. But, you know, whenever I read his stuff, it comes across that way. His novels have grander settings, but you don't necessarily get the travelogue style that you do with Fleming. You get some very interesting locations that are very well described, but you don't get into that sort of detail that Pat and Delvin were talking about around setting up the travelogue site. So there's less travelogue, more action, still very interesting in, in where they're set. This one, you know, he clearly knows New York. You can just tell that from the way it flows together. So, yeah, I think this is a good introduction to Raymond's style. I, I would actually recommend his short stories to folks who just want to get into his style of Bond before they maybe even tackle some of the novels. I actually have a follow-up question for you, Alan, because so, you can help provide a perspective, I think. Delvin mentioned fast pace, and I've often said that Benson's my favorite writer of the Bond books, period, because they do move so briskly. And now I'm wondering, I'm going to, I need your Englishness on this, Alan. <laughs> I'm wondering if it's because he's an American writer that I can process it, read it literally faster than a British writer from, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Does that affect the way I, I read it? And I'm wondering your point of view. And I, I know you're well-read and, and, and you've read them all. But do you kind of get what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I do. Just like physically easier for me to read it as an American? <laughs> I, think it, I think it's a combination. It's the language. I mean, obviously, the, you know, there's a lot of English phraseology and stuff, and he's very careful around that. But I think, it's, I think it's a combination of the language and the time it was written and the way he's coming at it. Because like you said, Fleming is stuff that's 50, 60, 70 years old now. So with Raymond, we're talking stuff back to the, to the 90s. God forbid that's 30 years ago. But <laughs> No, it's not. It's only like 10 years ago. <laughs> um, but, that, but that's a big gap between But it's a big gap. Them, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And like I say, um, uh, you know, I think that his work is very reflective of that era. And again, he's also coming out of the computer games, you know, theater, mm -hmm. writing for the computer games, stuff, you know. So I think he, he has that faster pace to his storytelling Anyway, even if you read some of his non-Bond fiction, it tends to be pretty fast-paced. I'm really glad you mentioned that, because as you guys know, I love the Bond video game thing. Check out my four-part documentary I did, like, gosh, three years ago now? Right here on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast channel. But yeah, I got a great interview with him because he wrote those first text-based games. You have to imagine the challenge of writing a text-based game around James Bond. It has to be fast and adventurous and capture everything that's bond and and so yeah i think he really did have a strong background for this and i think that's what you're seeing both delvin and pat or, or all of us for that matter about that brisk briskness yeah. that he brings to it like delvin said the the build-up it was fleming this build-up 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 mm -hmm. with benson it's you know you get a li little build-up but you get action build-up action build-up action and we'll, yeah, we'll I, talk about it. we'll talk about it what, how we felt yeah, about it but i, lot, I yeah, definitely yeah. I can definitely see why he was chosen to be a Bond writer. And I will remind everybody that, if I'm not mistaken, and Alan would be the guy to put me on the correct course, but I think Fleming came from travel writing. Like, I think his brother was a travel writer. Yes, correct. And then Fleming ran and wrote travel stuff, hence his, his travel books like Thrilling Cities and so forth. He, there you go. So, yeah, and he, he ran a group of 
travel and foreign correspondence for the time. So yeah, he comes out of that background too. All starts to make sense, doesn't it? Well, man, I bet Jason didn't realize he'd get that much discussion out of the uh, intro question. So let me officially dive in to this episode's topic. We are talking James Bond 007 Blast from the Past. It was originally published in Playboy, the January 1997 issue. The writer, Raymond Benson. Jason wrote up a nice little plot description, and it goes a little something like this. When James Bond receives a mysterious message from his estranged son asking for help, he heads off to New York City to investigate. Discovering, to his horror, that his son has been murdered, 007 teams up with a beautiful agent and sets out on a quest for revenge. As the plot thickens and the two agents avoid deadly traps, Bond discovers to his surprise that the perpetrator is an old enemy and one who has set out on a quest for vengeance of their own, one that is decades in the making. Okay, gentlemen, it's time to admit whether this is a first read or a reread, and we will start with Alan. Well, as you can probably guess, it's a reread. Yes, I know your affinity for Playboy and your <laughs> yeah, <large books>. yeah. <laughs> Hey, I had to. It was research for the book. <laughs> the James Bond lexicon available at all good online retailers, folks. Heck yes. <laughs> all right, Delvin. First read for me, Jared. Never read it before. Pat. Well, I'm going to join Delvin with two cool guys who haven't read it before. Excellent. All right. I have read it before only once. It's included in the Omnibus. I think it's, which one is it in? Is it Union Trilogy? It's Union Trilogy. Alan's holding it up for me to the camera. It is included in the Union Trilogy Omnibus, which is a really cool book. I foolishly sold mine because I was like, oh, I have all these books in hardback and the nice first prints. I don't need this collection and then i lost the short story that way so word to the wise out there hold on to those if you want the short stories or just order the playboy it's another option for for the articles yes yes <laughs> for the raymond uh benson art articles <laughs> all right so it's time to get into the meat of the show the highs and the lows possibly the what does and guess what pat we're starting with you. Ooh, all right. Well, that beginning question that Jason had was something I did want to talk about, the difference between the Fleming that I've read and the Benson that I read. I really did like this Benson, reading it. You know me, it's something that when I'm either watching something that's long, I have to either try to break it up before we record. And so I thought, well, you know, uh, it's 28 pages long, I believe from my count that the story is. And so I kind of broke it up in three days. I'm like, okay, I can read 10, 10 and, and eight if I had to. And so I started to do that, but in reading it, I think, well, actually I think it was breaking it up in four days because I was trying to get ahead of myself. And so that was only going to be seven, but I ended up that first night reading 10 pages and kind of wanted to read more, but I was getting tired. So I was like, okay, I'm going to fall asleep here. So I'm not going to finish it all. But that's a good sign as for me always is when I'm reading something or watching something, if I want to get past that benchmark of where I want to be, that means something to me that there's some good stuff that's happening in there. And 
I liked the faster pace, the more get to it in this shorty kind of a story. I don't know. Like, is, is it a, I guess it's a short story because of the page count or, or that mm-hmm. it is. But yeah, I really did find it interesting. And I liked the different take on how Benson was writing Bond. Kind of like what we get with the different actors as well, too. You know, so you, you got kind of different Bonds. So let me throw this back to you. What Bond were you picturing Benson writing? Mm, I tell you what, with Benson, I almost always default to Pierce Brosnan mode just because of the, the era yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. the way behind it. You know what? I'm going to let Alan roll into that question since he's next on highs and lows as well. Who are you picturing? And then go ahead and toss out a high lower. Yeah, one. Benson's Bond to me is Pierce Brosnan's Bond because, as you said, it was that era. That's when you know he was writing during the, the Brosnan era. When I'm reading the Benson books, yes, it's, def- it's definitely the Brosnan Bond that's sort of running around in my head. With a touch, again, of the comic book newspaper strip Bond, the John McCluskey Bond sort of comes in mm. there as well a, a little bit. So for me, hi, what was really interesting was actually just read, reread You Only Live Twice in wow. prep for going on another podcast to talk about that. Cheating on us again. You just did. Well, it's fine when I do it. Oh, okay. As long as there's rules, that's fine. So I'd actually just, while we was actually on that Canadian holiday, I actually read You Only Live Twice while we were on vacation. So that really informs this short story. But when I was reading it, I was thinking, it actually didn't matter whether you've ever read You Only Live Twice or not. He does such a great job of setting it up, setting up the backstory, who these people are, why they're important to each other, what impact they've had on Bond up until this point. It doesn't really matter that you've read You Only Live Twice. And for a what is basically a sequel, a very important sequel featuring some very important characters from that book. I think he does a great job of setting it up in a way that it is very much, even though it's a sequel, it's very much a standalone Bond story that actually carries a lot of emotion and impact with it, whether you've read the previous book or not. But I think if you've read the previous book, it just adds a very interesting coda to Fleming's You Only Live Twice. Uh, wholeheartedly concur with that. And now it is time to hear from Delvin. If you want to chip in on who you saw in your head and what your high and low was. In a way, it could have been all of them. There was, you know, some sexiness of Sean Connery. There was some charming of Roger Moore. There was out-out action of a Timothy Dalton or Lazenby. There was a little bit of grittiness and goriness in the fighting like Daniel Craig for instance. So it was a little bit of all of them. And and that kind of just speaks to, I mean, you already used the word cinematic, so we can go back to it. Like I could see some of this being adapted for a screenplay. Heck, in fact, like some of it seemed like somebody from No Time to Die may have taken a few pages from Raymond Benson's book and, and put it into that movie because some of that just struck as eerily familiar. Um, mm. I really liked the history that was involved in it because i mean it's bond and as you are going to have any character that goes on longer and longer and longer and that canon grows longer and longer you're gonna have to fudge out some of the parts maybe that weren't so good or maybe were two of the times if you're getting what i'm saying but it was cool that this was at a time that like it just mentioned all of like bond's past that if you watched the movies or read the books that you would know about, like, for instance, You Only Live Twice, as soon as I even saw the name of Suzuki, it was like, I remember Kissy Suzuki. 
and that they got married. And so uh, they could have conceivably had a kid that James was only in his life for a short time was entirely conceivable to me. Uh, and just say a good way to uh, have a draw for him to go and come to America and everything. So it was a fantastic setup to me. And the lead up even to it was very James Bond as well of, of, you know, him, you know, getting, being wrapped up in a woman that he probably had no business being wrapped up in just led wonderfully into the story. So man, highly complimentary. Benson rolled it in, like hitting the deck at full speed, man. <laughs> he, he knew what he was doing and proved that he was a good man for this job of being the Bond novelist. And I'm really glad you, you mentioned Delvin's a little bit of that no time to die. Cause I was going to point out, Hey, there's little seeds of that because he's referencing you only live twice. And if that's where Bond goes to the poison garden, just like he does at the end mm-hmm. of <laughs> time to die. That's where Bond is killed in an explosion. Wink, you know, right. and then that's how he ends up with the amnesia and he marries uh, the, the island girl and has kids. And all this stuff happens. So it's really cool that just this one little short story written in what 97 for playboy is linking novel to Benson's great works to what would come years later and, and no time to die. So that's definitely fascinating. And hey, fun. hey Jared real quick. Uh, or, and maybe Alan, might know that was Raymond Benson given a credit in no, no. time to die. No, no involvement at all. And it's They've- not, I was going to say, and it isn't a direct reference. I mean, it's sort of a reference to you only live twice. It's sort of a circular mm. thing. It's the, the movie references you only live twice, which Raymond references. But yeah, so no, he was not involved and didn't get any sort of credit. So okay. Unfortunately, as far as I know, I don't know about any behind the scenes deals or anything like that. But as far as I know, Benson's work has never been tapped for the movie universe, which is a shame because Double Shot would make a kick-ass James Bond. Heck, they'd all would, but I love Double Shot. I have a special place in my heart for Double Shot. Pat? If I can go into my the second round, right if I can, I'm going to piggyback off of what you were just saying, because that's the thoughts I was just having. And I do agree with Delvin. What Delvin said was the, the history and the previous You Only Live Twice, that being folded in here. And and I think that really drew me in as well, too, to the story that kept me wanting to read more because he was bringing out stuff that I knew, the the knowledge that I knew. And I think that brought it me even more deeper. But like you said, Jared, even if you haven't read it, or maybe it was Alan that said, even if you haven't read it or watched the movies, if you just read this, you would still understand the, the feelings that bond had for one his son i was like the minute he said his son i was like oh wow oh what's going on here you know and then it's kissy and then they mentioned tracy several different times that he's having these dreams that are just you know torturing him at night and that and then to find out who is the one that is going after him and why and just understanding the cold-bloodedness of killing his son like who could really do that well i guess obviously that person that who it was yeah, I could see that person doing it, you know? I could definitely see that. But going back to your point, Jared, I would actually like to see short movies like this, maybe twice a year, maybe getting it on a streaming service where you have, you know, the first half a year you get a, a you can kind of spread it out, maybe a six episode, something like that. And then in the next one, you have another six episode telling a bigger story like this. 
and just something like that for a while instead of trying to get a, just a big movie drop of something. Ah, oh, man, you've just you just made me. You could you like could that. tap these books, these short stories. Yeah, you can like, tap the put, comics. Put Raymond Benson in charge of it. Like, let him be the showrunner, and just yeah. give it every six months we get a one hour episode. I would. And, I, just blank check. Here's a blank check. Go ahead and sign know, me up for that. <laughs> even if you don't do it with live action, you could do an animation. That way you mm-hmm. can bring in the comic bond. You can bring in the other medias like that and, and pull from media like that. And you can still do big movies, but you can have those different sections. I think that would be really cool and, and help continue to grow. You don't oversaturate it. Like kind of what's happening with Marvel and Star Wars right now. Don't oversaturate it. Just, mm. just you know, make wanna, it an event. Make it a, yeah. a special little event. I track, yeah, exactly. You know, Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, big supporters of our podcast, may or may not be true. Hopefully, mm-hmm. they're listening. <laughs> to this and, and and take our ideas by all means. Don't even give us credit. Just make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Michael, Barbara, make it happen, please. Alan, you're good friends with the Broccoli's, right? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barbara <laughs> drove past me on a, in a Rolls Royce when I was in London one time. Does that count? That's about yeah. as close as I got. <laughs> I thought you were about to say she like, went by you in the other gondola going the other way. Just kind of laughed at your misery. <laughs> that guy looks like he's having an awful time. <laughs> uh, Alan, it's your turn to talk anyway, my friend. It's the second round. Okay, I'm actually going to go for a what the, but it's sort of a, the impact because it's probably a good six years since I last read this story. So even though I remembered the basics, I didn't remember the details. For me, it was the bit where Bond found his son's body and the way he described, Raymond described that moment, the state of the body, the impact that had on Bond, how he dealt with it, sort of brought me up short because in a lot of these types of stories, when a relation is killed or somebody's killed that's important to the plot, it's usually the hero turns up just after, you know, it's a body on a bed that's just been shot or mm. something like that. But for him to set it up in a way that he smelt. It was about yeah. four days, didn't he say? Yeah, he yeah. smelt the putrefication of his yeah. son's body as he walked into the apartment. I'm like, my God, what does that do to you? I mean, it's bad enough that he went there thinking his son's in danger. But just yeah. that one scene was just brought me up short. Well, I thought that was so well done. It just added such a layer of emotion and pathos and just gut churning, particularly for anybody who's a parent, just to even think about that sort of circumstances was just like, wow, where the hell did that come from? And it was so well written too. Such a departure from, if you like, the standard tropes of thrillers and people finding bodies and stuff like that. I thought, yeah. But do you think it was done for, to also show, you know, that, that gut wrenching feel that we all felt, but also to show that Bond still becomes he kind of gets, you know, agent mode and just kind of, yeah, you know, I'm I mean, here to that, do a job. I'm here click, to do he a... went from being the grieving, appalled father to don't touch the body. We got to do this. We got to do that. Okay. Yeah. You know, and actually also leading up to that, the fact that he was, because he was worried about his son and he just barged into the apartment. He didn't really take notice of the person sitting outside. And when I read it again for the second time, I'm like, what are you doing? It's pretty obvious that that's an important, you know, you missed, you missed a huge clue there because you're so concerned about getting to your son when he sort of found him. And then, as you said, back very rightly, he switched from once he'd got passed over that revulsion of what happened, he switched like almost instantaneously. The killer mode went in. Uh, yeah, it yeah. Boom. It, boom. Okay, I've got to go find out who did this and get my revenge. Yeah. It's very, from my experience, 
it's very military. Like when terrible things happen around you, you just click on your training and you do that and you grieve later and it hits a lot harder later. I'm here to tell you, but I think, yeah, Raymond captured that. And, you know, for Raymond to not even really be a veteran or something, maybe he's experienced some grief in his life. I don't know, but that he nailed that. He really did. Cause that's what, that's what professionals yeah. in, in the danger business do. Yeah, very much so. Good catch, Alan. I like that. I like that a lot. Delvin. There's a saying, and I'm probably mangling it, but it's something to the effect of when you're under stress, you fall back to your lowest level of training. That just tells you how much of a an agent, how much of a professional that Bond was, that he saw something that literally anybody normal would have been completely paralyzed by for days, weeks even. And it's like, no, job, shove it aside, back to training, back to basics, back to what I know professionally. That's the way of a hero, right? That's the way of a of a good guy. That's the way of a tough guy that like, yeah, it's one thing to say that you're tough. It's It's another one when you are literally staring at the body of your son and you're having to continue because you know that you're the best person to find out who murdered him. So yeah, that's insanely dramatic. And I'll speak to Alan's point about how Bond missed, he missed the woman twice, but both times Raymond Benson did a great thing in that he brought up a key plot point that was going to be used later and a very plausible reason why James Bond, even though like his instincts saw it and made a note of it, he was so busy doing whatever he was the first time he was just racing in to see his son that he knew was in trouble and was in peril. And then the second time was the aftermath of it heading into the bank that he's trying to figure out what's going on. He's got this key. So he looked and saw the same person. Is this is this the same person that I saw in front of my... That, that can't... Maybe, maybe it's a coincidence. No, it's a spy game. Of course it's not a coincidence. But yeah, it was a plausible reason because at that point, by reading it the second time, I was wondering, was like, okay, this person has to mean something. And sure enough, yeah, absolutely. She did mean something to the entire plot. So. Just those nuggets were interwoven in a fast-paced storyline, and it was done very well. Wholeheartedly agree. One of the fun things for me as I was reading this short story was, you know, I'd read it before. I've read all of Benson's works, of course. As I'm reading it, I'm thinking about reading it from Delvin's point of view and Pat's point of view, because you're the two guys I knew hadn't read it before. And I thought, how satisfying, because we talked about how Raymond refers to some things that had already happened to give you the background. I was like, how satisfying must it be for Delvin and Pat, especially our, our junior agents, to read the comeuppance of Blofeld, mm-hmm. strangled him with his bare hands, throttled him to death. Because we talked about like how in the movie series, like we wanted to see the Blofeld revenge film. Well, it's out there. <laughs> it's out there in prose form. So I was very kind of excited. Uh, you guys feel free. Away, don't look like you had something to say. Yeah, I mean, put it this way of God, forgive me, blanking after on a Majesty Secret service, the the next movie, Diamonds, Diamonds. yes, where they, uh, yeah, I know (laughs) uh, it was so it was cheesy, it it was too hokey 
to where you're right. That needed to be something personal. You killed the only person I have ever loved. Death by strangulation, that makes more sense. Where it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to end your life and it's going to be personal. This is not going to be a sniper shot. This is not going to be some other agent doing it. I am going to do it. I'm going to do it with my own hands. That sounds like something that James Bond would do. And that that's where it's literally cold-blooded. And it's so cold-blooded that he's got trauma from it. It was the thing that he needed to do. It was the thing that he had to do. But it still was trauma. And it was something that he had buried in his subconscious to just go ahead and continue with the mission. I love that they kept mentioning that. And and I know we, we've talked about, you know, some of the heavier points, but maybe it just comes across a little bit better in fiction in written prose to see that there are some consequences of being in such a dangerous position that James Bond is in. You know, it, it affords you all the luxuries in the world that like you are in the most pristine shape. At some point, Raymond Benson very accurately gave a metaphor to his body basically being a weapon. So, I mean, like, so you're that, but at the same time, you're having to deal with not being able to trust the person beside you and people that you love may wind up dead. And sure enough, his son did. Sure enough, the person that he loved did. Sure enough, Kizzy Suzuki did, even though it was to cancer. So yeah, very awesome points done very succinctly because it was just 30 pages. I was excited to read that because I knew my junior agents would read that and be like, oh, yeah, oh, that's that's what needed to have happen. I know this is probably on Alan's mind, and I wanna, I'm want i going to pitch a question to you in a second, DJ Cristados, but I know this ran through Alan's mind, so I have, to, I have to say this. I heard a wonderful fan theory. It might not actually be a theory, but I'll call it a theory. The theory goes that Diamonds is actually a sequel to You Only Live Twice. You mean the theory that I talked about when Van and I did... Our review. Uh, if, yeah, I mean, if you want to say that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I no, honestly I, I, couldn't remember where I heard it, and that's probably where <laughs> I did, Alan. I'd heard it somewhere, and I thought that. Yeah, no, I, I, I will say that was something that I only heard, like, I don't know, six months ago when I heard somebody else say it, and I was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like they were saying, hey, remember that George You're talking Lazenby about the, the movie. movie? The movie, yeah. not the book, You Only Live Twice, but Diamonds of Forever yeah. is a direct sequel to the movie you only live twice and it ignores majesty yeah. totally yes yeah. and i think they and the more you talked about it, i was like that makes so much sense because it was you know the producers had that falling out with george so it made perfect sense to say let's pretend the george thing was a one-off that never happened yeah and which is a shame because i guess this is debatable but i think most people would agree with me that majesty's is kind of the most in line like that's the movie that lines with the book yes the most yeah so it's so weird when these two worlds blend anyway I had to bring that up because I knew it was probably on Alan's mind. <laughs> and uh, I hate that it was you that I have to give credit for. That wounds me deeply, but <laughs> I'll move on. <laughs> no, but as I said, I did hear it from somebody else first, and it was them that triggered it in my mind. So, yeah. But <laughs> unfortunately, I can't remember who that was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't remember that I'd heard it from you, so it's just a long <laughs> series of not remembering where we'd heard it. But I want to go back to Pat. Delvin got to sort of speak to we got that raw throttling of – you got to learn about how it happened in the books. Like Bond got his revenge, right? Then you have that Irma Boont thread just dangling. The woman that literally shot. Well, and that's what I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted by. to. Like, yeah. how did that feel for you, Pat, as a, yeah, as a Bond fan, to, to get that closure? Yeah, like Delvin said, I, I kind of felt like Delvin said a good about for Blofeld. 
And then I wanted to continue off what Delvin said on how just cold blooded and, and just, you know, that killer that he, that weapon, that bond is at the end of this, where he just like, okay, I shot her. And now she just, you know, Benson describes it. I can just see this body just kind of crawling, you know, crawling her crawling out like that. And bond just sitting there, you know, he's waiting, ready to shoot her, but he doesn't, he wants her to suffer. You know, it doesn't necessarily say that in the book, but he's, you know, you can see that he's hesitating to pull the trigger because, you know, if she got closer, a little bit closer, what is she going to do? Try to gnaw at his shoe or something? You know, <laughs> I'm going to untie your shoes for you and you're going to trip. No, you know, she wounded him. Yeah. Cause he, he's wounded, you know, above his ankle, but he's still got the higher ground and he's just waiting for her to try to do something. And, you know, he would not hesitate to just pop and do it, but he doesn't because he, I felt like he wanted to just let her suffer. You know, I, I really liked Pat that as you're describing it, how Benson could have wrote it cleaner and it may be even more cinematic, you know, like this big bond moment, almost like kind of thinking about the time he killed Electra just very brazenly and boldly. Right. Man. But he did it dirty. Like bond got wounded. They're, climbing over mannequin parts yeah and and it's just he he did it in that like i don't know that dirty way but yeah so satisfying i just see irma boot from the movie mm -hmm. in my head and i'm like she got away with killing tracy <laughs> and yeah. uh but oh no she didn't <laughs> she got it yeah definitely. i like that raymond also got across very well that irma hated james bond <laughs> very mutual <laughs> yeah I hate you. You ruined my. And then, and Bond just threw the, through like, she was like, you ruined my face. And he was like, you're never a beauty. Right, you're no beauty. And it's like, oh. oh, oh. Dang, yeah, that was, that was a great put down when she did the big dramatic reveal. And he's like, yeah, so what? You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, just palpable hatred that makes for good drama, especially them going after each other. Maybe I was reading it too quickly, but I kind of wish that Irma's death maybe could have been a little bit more personal because basically James fired in the blind and got a good, it was a skilled shot, obviously, but got a kind of a lucky shot off that kind of killed her. So I wish that they could have, or he could have described that a little bit better. Like, you know, I don't know, maybe a gun where he hit a, had a gun hit while he was basically propped against the wall with that broken leg that he had, and then he ended her, that would have been a little bit more personally satisfying than knowing that he kind of winged her, or more than winged her, obviously wounded her grievously to the point where she was dying and crawling towards him, still calling him an English dog. That would have been more personal than, I don't know, maybe Raymond was like, okay, look, I've given you a steak, you know, I've given you a nice baked potato. It was like, do, do you have to have fries with it? You know, no. You don't. Don't be greedy. <laughs> so, fine. You're right. It was, it was a lovely steak and, and a baked potato. <laughs> Thank you, Raymond. So, yeah. Must have mac and cheese. All right. Uh, we have really quite busted out of our, our two-round uh, format. I think everybody's gotten at least two shots at this. Anything still weighing on anybody's mind? I'm actually going to go what sort of Delvin and, and Pat both said about it being 28, 30 pages. And a quick read. I was actually would have liked this to have been longer. I think there was a lot to unpack here. I think it could have been 
not sure a full novel, but I think it could have been a novella a little longer. I think you're right. There could have been a little more cat and mouse. Yeah. Um, You know, once he kind of, they go to the bank and then kind of somewhere around there. And then you had the car chase that goes on. And I thought it could have, could have, you know, they played with the Irma Bunt thing a a little longer, maybe give us a bit more about James and James Suzuki and his background and his life in New York and stuff like that. I don't know. I I just felt there was stuff here that because it was so quick, I mean, I like read it at lunchtime and I was like, oh, I'm done. You know, this is why I think it could be a 90 minute movie. And by the way, we're about to get into fun facts and there's a little something in it exactly about what we're talking about. Okay. So I guess this is a good time to transfer to fun facts. Jason has left us three fun fact. Number one, the name of Bond's son, James Suzuki is taken from the John Pearson faux biography. James Bond, the authorized biography of 007. Fun fact number two. The first Bond story published by Benson, Blast from the Past, is a direct sequel to Fleming's You Only Live Twice and appears to exist outside the timeline of either Benson's or John Gardner's other Bond stories. And we kind of talked about that. That's kind of a direct sequel thing. Here's where I'm going to address what we were just talking about. Fun fact number three. In publication order, this follows cold and precedes zero minus ten. Benson has stated, tune in, ladies and gentlemen, Benson has stated that Playboy cut out one-third of the story for space reasons. <laughs> so it's supposed no, to be 30% uh, bigger. That explains quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It, I think that's a compliment to Benson. Like, if you could take out, edit out 30% and still have this lean, excellent, satisfying short story, I mean, come on. The guy's killing it. Boy, I wonder if he's... Well, obviously, I'm assuming he would have this other 30%, right, somewhere? That's actually just making me wonder what's in here. Is it the Playboy one, or is it the Benson cut, the director's cut? Oh, that's a good question. And Raymond Benson is a friend of the show, so I think we should reach out to him and ask him that. See if we can't get back to our listening audience. Yeah. All right, listeners, a quick update from post-production from your good buddy, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. I did indeed reach out to Raymond Benson to ask him about the 30% cut from the story. And he informed me that in the Playboy version, there is 30% cut out. But if you read the short story via the Union Trilogy, where most of the guys read it from on the episode, then you did indeed get the full effect. So the full unedited quote unquote director's cut story is the one that is published in the Union Trilogy collection of books. And now that we know that we read the full shebangabang, let's get back to the show. All right, gentlemen, it is time to rate this short story. A reminder of our rating system. Seven, you loved it. It shook your martini. Six, it was excellent. Five, it was very good. And four, it was good. And three, it was just okay. And two, it was not so good. And one, you hated it. It stirred your martini murdered your son, gave you a key to a bomb, <laughs> shaved you with a knife. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, <laughs> While touching your boob. Okay. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but it felt kind of right for the Herbert Buck that we know. <laughs> Anyways, let's score this thing. We'll start with, let's start with Delvin. 6.5. Thank you. That flies. That flies. <laughs> Now, now that since Joe November is not here, mm. 
I have to ask you to make a firm decision. Are you going six or seven? Uh, why'd you have to start with me? Uh, it's a six. It is fantastic. I enjoyed it immensely. You know, there's that general laziness of, uh, I got to read 30 pages and there are no <laughs> pictures. I don't want to read. But sure enough, I, I found a time like during lunch. It's like, all right, let me sit down. And sure enough, I started reading it. Fast paced, good action. I mean, started and ended with some raunchy sex scenes, uh, you know, in, in between the action showing, you know, the ladies man that James is and why it might be in a Playboy magazine. A lot of good things. It was really good, fast paced, brisk, emotional. It was really good. Hit pretty much every beat. It's it's right at perfection for me. It's a six. Awesome. Awesome. Glad you really enjoyed it. Pat, you going to stick that six? You going to ramp it up? You going to throttle it down? What you got, man? I'm going to stick with the six. I thought it was very well written. Like Delvin said, it kept me interested. I wanted to continue to read more. I liked the continuation of a story before. So I'm, I'm a continuity kind of guy. So I like when things kind of continue that way and they build off of what has been done before. I guess maybe that's why I like the Craigs because of the kind of the continuity that's being done in that, uh, that James Bond area, but we won't get to that. So all of that said, I'm at a six. Understood. Understood. Alan, uh, I'm going to throw you one more question before you put okay. on the score. Delvin mentioned sort of the sexiness at the beginning and the end going from memory. i feel like this was maybe one of the most sexual moments that Benson has written. And I'm wondering if it's because it was for Playboy to have a bit of that flavor. Just going from memory, I don't remember his sex scenes in the novels being as <laughs> forward as they were in this one. It, it, does that track with you? Because, again, I'm going from a memory of reading these things probably 15 uh, years ago. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a couple in a few of the novels that... A little spicy? Uh, a little spicy and racy. And okay. I, I do remember, I can't remember which book it was, but we were actually going to an Ian Fleming Foundation work weekend and we were listening to one of his books on audio in the car. And when we got there, the first thing Jill said to him when he turned up was, boy, you have an interesting imagination, Raymond. Um, <laughs> but I can't remember which book it was. Um, and, and then she said, I hope it was your imagination anyway. Um <laughs> Okay, so maybe it is a little racy. I just kind of yeah. I think his stuff is a little racier, but I think yes, very much the opening, opening and closing of this one was definitely because it was in Playboy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, anyway, back to your score, sir. I just wanted to run that by you. See, test my memory. I'm going with the guys. I'm going to give this one a six. Like I said, I felt I don't know what, but I just felt there was a, something else missing that could have been dug in a little deeper. Um, it may be in that missing 30% or it may, you know, it, this may be the full version that we read, but whatever. I just, it just fell short of perfection, but I think it's a great start for Raymond's tenure as the Bond writer. And it's a great, like I said, it's, it's one I would recommend as somebody, somebody wants to get into the, who likes Fleming and is not sure whether they should try the, the Benson books. Cause I know there are people who will not touch the continuation novels. I think, this is a great way to sort of ease you into that idea of continuation novels and Raymond's in particular. So yeah, it gets a six from me. And you know what? I'm going to join all of you guys uh, with the six. There's definitely sevens in Raymond's catalog, according to Jared, but this being sort of his out of the gate shot at it, limited page count. I mean, it's almost like giving it a seven. Like there's just so many limiting factors of writing a short story for a magazine, but man, it's really good. So 
I'm going to give it a six. And I'm going to wrap it up as you guys probably thought you were going to get away with it. But as I always do, I pulled my favorite passage and I'm about to read a little bit of Raymond Benson's short story. And then we will get to the closing. This was my favorite Bond passage from Blast from the Past by Raymond Benson. He felt a closure on a painful epoch in his life, and the relief was exhilarating. The occasional bad dreams about Tracy, Blofeld, and Japan would most likely cease now. He thought of James as well, the boy he never knew, the son he never lived with. He hadn't deserved to die. Bond was aware that he needed to grieve, and that would happen sooner rather than later. He wouldn't allow himself to dwell upon it too long, lest he would start to blame himself. Save it all for another day, he ordered himself. For now, relish the victory. Not only had his son's death been avenged, but he had, hopefully, settled the score regarding Tracy. That's quality stuff. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that was good. Good right there. Yep, and that is why he gets a strong six on a short story for Playboy right there. Good stuff, Raymond. And good pick, Jason. Yes. I'm sure that Jason's going to pick some more literary bond coming up in Rogue Agent's future. And if it's more Raymond Benson, I'm looking forward to it. I've never read Mr. Benson. Agree. So I yeah, enjoy it. definitely agree. Yeah, again, unfortunately, Jason's on the road. His internet connectivity didn't allow him to finish hosting. You only heard him at the very beginning of the episode. So, Jason, I, I hope uh, I know you're listening. I hope we did a good job and discussed all the points that you wanted. And yeah, you picked a fantastic short story. Well done, sir. And that is the show. As a reminder to the audience, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on Twitter at ohmspod. Also, if you're an Apple Podcast listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for our show. That'll help raise the show's profile and attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will happily read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. I want to thank Alan, Delvin, and Pat, and Jason for joining me on this episode. Before we go, let's find out where listeners can find us on the internet. I know my brother Jason can be found at Jason Albrick on Instagram. Alan. You can find me for James Bond stuff at Bond Lexicon on Twitter and at James Bond Lexicon on Tumblr and Instagram. And there is, of course, the JamesBondLexicon.online website, which is a companion to the James Bond Lexicon book, which can be found at all good online bookstores. Yes, indeed. Delvin. You can find me on Twitter, D-E-E underscore R-A-Y 1977 and Instagram at Delvin Ray. Pat. Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Jared, where can they find you? I am at Yard Sale Artist Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. And you can find my artwares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. And if you've enjoyed this crew and maybe you want to hear more from us, maybe you want to hear us talk about. I don't know, comic books, action films, old TV, serials, stuff like that. We do all that on our very own network called the Longbox Crusade Network. Pat, where can they find that? Well, Jared, I'm glad you asked. You can find that on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and at YouTube, all under Longbox Crusade. Just go ahead and search us out and you will find us there. We're also on all the podcatchers basically out there. That's true. All right. Thanks, fellas, for taking on another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who tuned in. 
Again, if you want to leave a question or comment on this or any of our other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSPod or send us an email. Once again, OHMSPod at Outlook.com. We hope to hear from you soon. The next episode of MI6 Rogue Agents will feature Pat's Choice. But as always, Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast will return. And I suspect it's going to be some man from Uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll continue on. That. Fun, fun, fun. This episode features the James Bond GoldenEye 007 Trap Remix by The Whiddler. when I was with Am in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Outtakes. Thank you, Miss Moneypenny. That's all, that's all. Total aside, by the way, anybody talking to Brosnan, and you can edit this out if you want to, but anybody else seen the trailer for his brand new movie, The Outlaws? No. Okay. No. Go watch that. There's a wonderful little nod to his time in Bond there that just made me laugh out loud when it happens so just watch the trailer to the outlaws if you're a Piers Brosnan fan that could be that could be it could be it's quality programming over here I'll try it again that could could I I just wanted you to hear affirmation there and not feel like you're alone okay (laughs) I'll pretend like we've done this before okay we can't write them that good for our comic book shows that that was good. That was, I know. I mean, that this, that, that was, was really like, good. Yeah, it's like, man, I'm like, oh man, I want to read that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> Damn it, Jason. <laughs> well done. All right, so now, man. Now, man. Yeah, this material's man. gonna end up in outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I gotta edit this damn show.